This is On Call with Dr. Dave, and I have a good friend here, Dan. So Dan's been in the medicine for quite a while. I'll let him tell you a little bit more. But Dan and I first met uh, when I was doing residency, and we happened to live in the same part of town in Georgia, and that's how we got to know each other. So Dan, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Um, so I graduated nursing school in 2008. Um, before that, I was an EMT for a little while. Um, I just graduated in 2019 with my adult gerontology clinical nurse specialist. So that's what I'm doing now. I primarily worked in the operating room and currently actually I'm teaching um, nurses how to work in the OR. So I'm an instructor currently. Yeah, important job. So you have a couple of stories to share from uh, your experience uh, working in medicine. I do. Um, lots of good party stories come out of the OR. You see a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff. A lot of the stuff's kind of the on the grosser side, you know, gross out your friends that aren't used to the medical field and things like that. So it's all it's all fun. But um, yeah, there's there's so many that I could go with. But my one go to, I kind of start. This is kind of a high bar on kind of the disgusting scale. So hopefully you're okay with that one. <laughs> um, I did a lot of open heart surgeries. And for open heart surgeries and a lot of longer surgeries, we have to do the Foley catheter, right? The indwelling catheter. And um, older gentleman, well, he was not circumcised and he, it got uh, strictures really, really, you know, the skin got really tight. <laughs> not able to. Hurts just thinking about it. it. And yeah, and I consider myself an expert, you know, I've done hundreds of Foley catheters. I'm kind of the go-to guy in the OR. So I just could not get it in. It was just, there was no room, wasn't budging. So we end up calling the urologist. Urologist comes up, um, gives it their effort. You know, they get the, the Coudé cast, they get different sizes thinking that they'll, they'll be able to get it. No luck. That skin, that foreskin was just way too tight. So they couldn't, he was already anesthetized, already asleep. Uh, couldn't do you can't circumcise somebody, you know, that's a, that's a surgical procedure <laughs> that he didn't consent for. Um, but we had that'd to get be, one yeah, That'd be a shock waking up from that. <laughs> no idea what their beliefs are, if this could cause some issues. So instead of doing the full circumcision, they, they do an incision, just a vertical kind of slit and just sort of flayed it open so that we could get, and they opened it up and it was just, it was cottage sheets. It was gross. <laughs> it smelled oh. bad cleaned it all out, but that, that released the pressure, got the Foley in and, uh, we were good to go, but it was one of the more interesting, you know, difficult starts to a procedure. Yeah. Especially if you're doing open heart surgery, then all of a sudden you're doing a penis surgery, uh, kind of took a right. quick left turn there. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they're not expecting to wake up to that. You know, they're just focused on their heart and all their other things. And all of a sudden they've got this other issue going on. So yeah, big surprise for them waking up. <laughs> do you put stitches in it afterwards or do they just like let it heal in like just curious how that that goes yeah they did and i'd never seen it before never seen it since but that's what they did they kind of sutured along the edges of each side they just did mm -hmm. like a running circular stitch and they said you know after a few weeks after you healed up from this uh heart procedure they were gonna kind of reapproximate the skin and sew it back up but that's gonna be a different consult different <laughs> clinic visit <laughs> Yeah. And luckily one that you're not involved with either. You're just kind of hands off at that point. You got the Foley in surgery went well, you got to say goodbye. Right. That's, it's one of the joys of being in the OR, um, you know, working on the floor for a couple of years, just several patients bouncing around, giving meds, making sure they eat, giving baths, all that stuff. It was tiring. And so operating room, one patient, take care of them, 
send them out the door. They're still kind of half asleep and move on to the next <laughs> one. It was, I, I like the environment. Stressful at times, but yep. overall, it's pretty good. Awesome. Anything else? Like any other stories that come to mind thinking about just like your years in medicine, like other stories you share at parties? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's that one, the guy was asleep. Um, another yep. instance where uh, there was a woman, she's coming in for breast implants. Um, she was getting them a revision, not a revision, but resize. So mm -hmm. she wanted to go bigger. Okay. She was older, you know, she was like 50s, 60s. Um, you know, not terribly old, but they, they've been in for a while. She wanted an upgrade, I guess. Typically, again, <laughs> the good thing about being in the operating room, patients are asleep when you work with them. So, you know, you, you do your interview pre-op, they come in, we intubate, they go to sleep, and then I can do all this, the prep, the Foley, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, the, the anesthesiologist wanted to keep them just, you know, light sedation. Um, they weren't going to intubate. Uh, they just decided to to go that route, which they'd never done before. And I was like, okay. And I was like, but I'm ready to prep. And they're like, go ahead and prep. And I'm like, she's wide awake. She's looking at me. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and you know, she, she was a nice, sweet lady. She's like, oh, go ahead. I don't mind. And so there I am, you know, prepping the breasts, looking at her, talking to her while I do that. And it's very, <laughs> it's interesting to say the least. It was yeah. a little awkward, but she made it comfortable and it was, it was all right. Well, I was just talking to one of my surgeon friends about that. She was having a case and it was going to be light sedation, but it was going to be long. So they're trying to figure out how to put the Foley in. I'm like, you can put a Foley in on somebody that's awake. And she's just like, I don't think I, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I'm like, I had to do it once, like with a fully awake patient in, in the hospital, similar situation to you. Nobody else can get the Foley in. They call me. They're like, hey, you know, can you get this Foley catheter in? The patient's wide awake in his room, but he's in a lot of pain because his bladder's full. And so he's just, right. you know he really wants this procedure because it's just so much pain and he had uh like end-stage liver disease so his back like abdomen was distended and unfortunately a lot of that fluid went down and went into his left testicle and so the left testicle swelled so much that you actually had no visualization of the penis so it was just completely enveloped in the testicle and you couldn't see the head of the penis so nobody could get a catheter in him because there's no direct visualization so this guy's wide awake, a bunch of people already tried. I'm in the room finally. And I just say, you know what? Like, I'm just gonna go by feel kind of like, you know, Jedi mind trick almost where I'm just like, I, I can feel where this is supposed to be. And I kind of just thread it in there. I get it first shot, but I mean, the guy's wide awake. It's completely uncomfortable. He's under a lot of pressure, but I get it in there. I can hear him groaning and it's uncomfortable. But then once I get in there, all of a sudden the urine came out, his pain went away immediately. And he just looked at me yeah. like, thank you so much. I can't believe I'm thanking somebody for doing that to me, but <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. like uh, both of our, our stories right now are centered around Foley catheters, which is not uh, not what I thought we'd be talking about tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, they, they give you that lidocaine jelly for that, but I, I, I wonder how effective that stuff actually is, you know, doing those Foley's while they're awake, but. Yeah, I don't. Sure. I don't want to ever find out on myself. I'm hoping that's an experience that I never. That I'm never on the opposite end of. <laughs> right. That's actually that's actually one of my goals in life. I, w I want to avoid that. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not going to be up to me once it once something progresses that far. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully I can stay yeah. healthy enough to kind of. Yeah. Uh, 
five surgeries in my life and all of them have been short enough that I've just told them like, please, I went to the bathroom beforehand. It's a short surgery, no catheters. Even when I'm asleep, I just don't want to even think about it. And luckily I've been yeah. able to get away with it so far, but who knows what's going to happen in the future. It's always surprising to me when people lie about their past medical history or what they've had done or haven't done. I've gone in and done surgery and I find scar tissue sutures where they've told me they've never had surgery there before. But once I get in there, it's very obvious they've had surgery. I had a patient yeah. once that came to me for cosmetic treatments. And so we never took insurance cards. Like we didn't really like, you know, it was like a little bit more relaxed as far as her medical chart was concerned. She didn't have to give, it, give us like social security number, anything like that. And so when she checked in, she like was 54 the first time and we took her took care of her she comes back the next year for some repeat treatments but at that point she's looking to do some medical stuff as well so she gives us her insurance card and now she's on medicare she is now 65 and on medicare and i'm thinking <laughs> uh <laughs> that's 10 years i mean there's yeah. certain reasons we need to know your true age there's screening questions there's things that we have to be concerned about with your health and I'm not trying to date you. Like, I don't, you know, you don't need to lie about your age. I just, <laughs> I need it for medical reasons. But she had like taken 10 years off of her age to, yeah. in her medical chart, which I just thought was just crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's harsh. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> we, we, that barrier in the medical field, just everything, you, you know, we're very honest and open with each other, sometimes too open with, you know, other staff members and things <laughs> like that. But there's no, not shameless. That's not the right word, but yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. You know, we've yeah. all seen plenty of genitalia and other things and that's, it's, it's normal. It's everyday life. So yeah. At a, there's a little boy on the sad side, you know, again, about being honest, mm -hmm. um, at a little boy came in, he was about five or six years old for elective surgery, elective circumcision, actually very straightforward, simple procedure. The pre-op questions are always, you know, when was the last time you had anything to eat or drink? Because they shouldn't have mm -hmm. anything after midnight, usually six hours before surgery. The kid said, not, you know, he didn't eat anything. The parents didn't know. Um, but and we, we go to intubate, intubate, and he aspirated. Apparently he had chocolate milk that morning, so he vomited a whole bunch of chocolate milk, mm. got in his lungs, canceled the surgery. He had to go to the ICU for a few days. And, uh, you know, he didn't know. He didn't think it would be, be a big mm -hmm. deal that he's chocolate milk. And I think a lot of patients, sometimes they yeah. eat, not thinking it's a big deal. So just ever mm -hmm. since then, educate a little bit, like, okay, you didn't eat, but you know why you shouldn't eat, right? You could actually like get food <laughs> in your lungs, even die. It, it's it's mm -hmm. not a good thing. So that was kind of a wake up call. Yeah. I, I think people follow through with our instructions a little bit more when it makes sense to them. So sometimes right. when people ignore my instructions, they're like, well, I didn't know why you asked me to do that. And I just want to say, well, just trust me like that I have a good reason, but if I don't tell them the reason, they're just less likely to do it. So I, more and more in medicine, I keep trying to tell patients why I'm doing things. Sometimes yeah. the why is a huge conversation and involves a lot of medical lingo. So it's really hard sometimes to explain, but the things that are important, I at least try to say, you know, this is important because if you like with the aspiration, it could come up and go into your lungs. It makes it a much riskier procedure. But right. it's, yeah, it's surprising to me how many people lie. I mean, the stories you hear about just stuff in the, you know, when people come to the ER, they put something in their rectum and the story always is that they just happen to like fall on something. They just happen to be doing dishes naked and they just happen to fall in a bottle that was upright and just magically made it right up the anus. 
And so the <laughs> same thing, like you're saying, like the genitalia, the stuff in the orifices, the things in the anuses, we've, we've seen all of that. So it's not shocking. And so if somebody just came in and said, hey, you know, I decided to do this. I put it up there. Can you help me get it out? That would be like, I wouldn't think twice about that at all. It's almost more no. comical or more like, you know, that that's the thing we talk about. We go back, we kind of like talk about the story that somebody made up. If they just told us this, like the truth, there'd almost be nothing. We wouldn't even care. It wouldn't be like a story worth telling, right. but it's almost always the the fact that they hit it or came up with some crazy story that obviously doesn't make sense. And that's right. what, that's what kind of gets us. Yeah. I think they got a Seinfeld episode about that, right? The, the Fusilli Jerry pasta statue that <laughs> one in a million, one in a million shot, one, a, one in a million, Jerry, one in a million. Yeah. There's an SNL skit about that too. Like uh, they did like, like ER and Appalachia or something like that. But yeah. like, we all have those stories. That's the thing. Like they're, they're not made up stories. These things really do happen. Yeah. Well, Dan, I appreciate you sharing your stories and thank you for being a part of my podcast. I really enjoy you coming on and it was great to see and talk with you again. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's good to see you too. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.